You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Nehemiah chapter 1. And tonight we're going to continue the series we began last week in the book, the study of the book of Nehemiah. Um, the study of the man, Nehemiah, the character study of, of uh, this great man who God used in a great way. And we'll read the first four verses and then we'll jump in tonight. Verse 1, it says, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah... And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, notice his response, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept. And mourned certain days, and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, I'm not going to read the prayer tonight because I think we'll get to that part in a different sermon. But there's something about Nehemiah's response here that I want to pay attention to and preach to you tonight um, about the man and something about him that made him the right man for God's plan. Let's pray. Father, again, we come to you and just ask that you bless the reading of your word. And I pray that you'd help us to be focused and give good attention to your word tonight. Help me to be discerning as I preach. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, The book of Nehemiah is about a man who God raised up. And if you'll remember last week, what we talked about was Nehemiah being raised up as the right person in the right place at the right time to advance God's kingdom purposes. See, God always has a plan to advance his kingdom, but he also uses men in the right place at the right time for those purposes. He did it all throughout the Old Testament. He did it in the New Testament. He does it in our lives as well. And you probably could give testimony to people that came along in your life at the right place, the right time for you because he needed them. And that's how God works. And that's also his plan for the local church. God places people in the body as it hath pleased him, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But now hath God set members, in the, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And last week, I was just trying to convey, as we opened this series on Nehemiah, that you're not at Eastside Baptist Church by accident. God has placed you here because it pleased him to place you here, and you're here to fulfill a role in the advancement of his kingdom purposes. And we ought to take our role seriously. I, and if you'll remember, I had... Uh, the, the young men in the pyramid down front, and uh, how if one person in the pyramid, which represents Eastside Baptist Church, if one person in the pyramid decides not to fulfill their duty, to fulfill their place in the body, then the whole thing collapses. And we ought to be mindful that if God put us here on purpose, he has a purpose for us to be here. Well, one man that really took his role seriously was Nehemiah. And just as a little background to remind you about the history, at this point, Judah is serving the Persian Empire. Now, before this, the Persians, uh, Cyrus specifically, had given the Jews 
permission to go back to Jerusalem, but not all of them had come back. And um, God wants to get the Jews settled back in Jerusalem for good, but at this point in history, the temple sits unprotected. So it would be like if our church um, sits here with no front doors, no locks on the door, anyone can come in, anyone can just wander in and do whatever they want to the temple uh, because it sits unprotected. That's what happened in Jerusalem. The temple had been rebuilt some 70 years before Nehemiah's day, but it wasn't flourishing until a man named Ezra, and if you go back left in your Bible, then you see the book of Ezra. Ezra was the man that came 12 years before Nehemiah, and his job was to institute the sacrifices and the offerings and to institute the temple program once again. So Ezra had come back and he had done that, but still things weren't going very well because there's no protection around the walls. There's no, there's no walls around Jerusalem. And so the temple, yeah, things are trying to happen and, and, and there's some sacrifices and, and there, the feasts are maybe taking place, um, but there's no, nothing there to protect the city. And someone needed to be stirred up to go rebuild the wall. And that's what God raised up Nehemiah to do. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, and there may not have been a more trusted position in the kingdom than than that of the cupbearer. And if you'll remember, God in his sovereignty had put Nehemiah in that place, and Nehemiah was able to test the food and the drinks of of the king, and uh, because of that, he was very trusted and, and God's sovereignty was in that situation because God had put Nehemiah in a trusted position because he knew that Nehemiah could use the resources of the king to rebuild the walls. And we see that that happens as we'll go through later. But tonight I want to shift our focus a little bit. You see, to this point, a sovereign God is playing the chess master. See, all, at this point, God has put Nehemiah in the position to be used. The right person is in the right place at the right time. But the process doesn't end there. Meaning, God in his sovereignty puts people in those places to further his kingdom. But the person in that place and in that time still has to choose. And what I mean is, God can put Nehemiah, God raised Nehemiah, and he had him be the cupbearer to test the food and the drink and to have the, the ear of the king. But Nehemiah still had to say yes. Nehemiah still had to submit to God's plan. Nehemiah still had to have courage to go to the king and ask him. Nehemiah had to be willing to step outside of his comfort zone. I mean, his life was good. He was protected. He was well cared for. He had a decent job. I mean, he was in a a financial and and, uh, he was in a secure position. Nehemiah had the right, uh, had to be the right kind of man, though, for God to use. God wasn't just going to kick Nehemiah out and force him to do it. That's not how God works. He gives us the choice. Yeah, he can raise you up and he can equip you. And I think about that at Eastside Baptist Church, how he's raised many up in this room to fulfill certain functions of the church and to do certain things. And I cannot be just transparent tonight. We need more volunteers. We need people that will say, I'd be willing to do something here at church. I'd be willing to step up and I'd be willing to help with this. I'd be willing to learn how to run the air conditioning system here. Never be, I did this on purpose as an illustration tonight. We need laborers. You know, we need people that are willing to step into those roles. Just because God has gifted you doesn't mean everybody says yes. 
Nehemiah had to submit to this. And that's where we're headed tonight because it's less of a focus like it was last week on God's role in the process. And tonight is more the role of the person that God has raised up to be used. If the title of last week's message was God's plan needs a man, then this week's title could be the right man for God's plan. Or more specifically, how to be the right man for God's plan. And can I say I'm using, I'm using man generically like they do in the Bible. Because God places women in the body just like he does men. It pleases him just as much. If you're a female at Eastside Baptist Church, it pleases God just as much to have you here. You have an important role to play too. So when I say a man, I hope you understand I'm referring to humans, mankind. How to be the right person for God's plan. My primary question tonight is what made Nehemiah the right guy for the job? What qualified him? As far as we can tell, he wasn't a builder. I mean, he was, he was Jewish, and that kind of qualified him, but it's not like he had some overwhelming qualifications on his resume. I mean, yeah, he's in the right position, but that's more something that God did. So what about Nehemiah made him the right person for the job? I mean, what did he have that allowed God to use him in such a special way? Well, someone brought a quote to me this week that fits this so well. Uh, Ian Bounds is known for his books on prayer. And in his book, Power Through Prayer, he wrote this. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. And if I could say that that summarizes the philosophy that I have at Eastside Baptist Church right now. Because I, I, and I've said this many times, but I can't reiterate it enough. I have not come in with programs that I think will revolutionize our church. I've not come in thinking, oh, we need to fix this, or we need to do this, and let's do this this way. Oh, this is going to change everything. My philosophy at Eastside Baptist Church is not to come in and save the day. I'm not here to come bring better methods. I, I know that methods will only take us so far. Really, what we need in place is the right kind of people. It's not about better methods, it's about better men. And I could come with all the best ideas and we could start trying to implement them, but if we don't have the people in place, the right kind of people, it, it, won't, it won't matter. Churches today are looking for better method, methods, but God is looking for better men. You know, strictly speaking about trade skills, I think about Nehemiah. Do you think there were more qualified men to build a wall than Nehemiah? I mean, think about it. Do you think you were more qualified just in terms of skill? Probably so. I mean, he's a cupbearer, not a a construction worker. I mean, I doubt he had a construction management degree from Southeast Tech. You know, it's not like that was on his resume. I I imagine there were better uh, contractors than Nehemiah. So I I don't think that that was likely not um, his best qualification. I mean, do you imagine that uh, there were more qualified leaders than Nehemiah? Well, I mean, really, if I'm just... Now, I'm not talking about God's role in it. I'm just talking about the man, Nehemiah. There were probably men with better experience leading large endeavors. I mean, to our, in, in our, to our knowledge, in his experience, all he'd ever done is... Been, is he's a cupbearer. So I imagine there were better builders. I imagine there were better leaders. But God chose Nehemiah. And if today's culture is an indicator, I think Nehemiah probably would have been passed over. I imagine people would have looked at his resume and said, okay, he can take a drink out of a cup or he can taste food and test it, but I've never seen him pick up a hammer. 
So, I mean, in terms of his resume, he probably wasn't the most qualified. But see, God's not looking for better methods. God doesn't do things the way that we think God ought to do them. God's looking for better men. And there was something about Nehemiah that made him the right kind of man to be used by God. So I want to walk through some of these verses and and then we'll make a specific application tonight that I think will be a help to us. Although sometimes, can I just say this? Sometimes applications aren't always the funnest part of the sermon. But tonight we'll spend probably most of of the rest of the time on the application. But I want to notice first the words of Nehemiah, verse number one. Much of this book comes to us in Nehemiah's words. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. So obviously he had some kind of memoir or, or some kind of journal. And Ezra, the scribe, is the one historically that they say is likely the one that wrote the book of Nehemiah. So most of this is in his own words. And he says there in verse 1, It came to pass in the month Chislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace. Now if you recognize the name Shushan, it's probably because you've read the book of Esther. And and Esther lived in this palace just a few years before um, Nehemiah did. And I pointed it out last week, but I want to point it out again, that I believe that God's hand of sovereignty is all over this, because something about Esther being in the palace for all those years, you know that had to help the Persian government, the Persian kings, to have a more favorable view of the Jews. Because Esther's a Jew. So again, I know that's behind the scenes, but I believe that God is proving his sovereignty, working these things out so that when Nehemiah was ready to do the job, that then the king would have a favorable view of the Jewish people. So he says, also, I was in Shushan, the palace. Now, one thing I want to notice about this is he's not in the palace cleaning toilets. He has an important job in the palace. Now, can I just say... Cleaning toilets is very important, okay? I'm not trying to diminish cleaning toilets. And someday if you get asked to clean a toilet in God's house, I hope that you'd say yes because none of us are above it. I've done it many times. So I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that Nehemiah had, in man's eyes, a more significant role than that. He has a great job. Nehemiah very likely gets paid a lot of money in this position, uh, it, the, the king's life is in his hands. So he works for the king. He has a government job. I mean, unlike many government jobs, his serves a purpose. I mean, he's doing something important. And if you work for the government, again, I, I apologize for that remark. You're very good at holding up shovels. Okay, so. You know, he's the cupbearer for King um, Artaxerxes. It's important. And here's a point I want to make as we go along here, is I want you to realize that Nehemiah is very much like most of you in here, and that Nehemiah is a layman. He's a layman. That means he's not on staff. He isn't called to ministry. He's not on payroll. And let me just remind you that the strength of a local New Testament church is built on the commitment level of its members. It's not about the staff. It's not about the pastor. You are, friends, you are the strength of Eastside Baptist Church. I mean, your maturity in Christ and your commitment to this church determines how strong this body is. And I mean, I can preach and I can try to lead and and I can try to feel my way through all of that. But if it depends on me, it's not going to get done. You are the backbone of this church. And Nehemiah was a layman, a layman. 
And he receives a visit from his brother in verse 2. And apparently this really is his brother named Hanani, one of my brethren. Later on in chapter 7, he calls him my brother Hanani. So the history, the, the, the commentators say that it probably really was his actual brother. And I want to notice something else here. The fact that Nehemiah and Hanani are brothers is no small detail. You see, right here, they're discussing their homeland. And later, Hanani plays an important role in the leadership, leadership in Israel, in Jerusalem. And what we can conclude here, and I don't want you to miss this, is that they were raised in a home that loves the work of God. It's, it's probably not an accident that these two brothers raised in the same home, probably you know, in the same home with the same parents uh, around each other, their heart is for the important things. And I just want to tell you, parents, that our influence on our children may not show up right now, but it will many years later. And how you look at the house of God as a parent is going to determine how much your children love the house of God. And we ought, as parents, we ought to be passionate about our, our church. We ought to make sure that it's a priority in our lives. We ought to make sure that we're not letting our children um, kind of skirt around the commitment that it requires to be part of a church like this. And uh, our parents, our attitude toward the house of God will show up in our children. And I have to think, and I'm just imagining, but I have to think that Nehemiah and Hannah and I were raised in a home um, with parents that loved God. They loved Jerusalem. They loved God's people. They loved the temple. Because Nehemiah and Hannah and I both had a passion for the things that show up in this story. And that leads to this, this important point tonight. The only, this is the only trait I'm going to look at this evening, but, but it will have lots of application. And this is one reason that Nehemiah was the right man for the job. And that is, and it, it's not profound, but that Nehemiah cared about the important things. Nehemiah got to do important things for God because he cared about important things. See, look what he asked in verse 3. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also was broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. So I think it's interesting in verse 2 it says that I asked them concerning the Jews... That had escaped. I asked them, though, about those in captivity. I asked them concerning Jerusalem. You know, you don't ask something that's not on your mind. Uh, we talked about this in Sunday school today when Paul was talking to the Philippians and he was saying that I'm, I'm thinking about, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. And as I remember you, I pray for you. Not one prayer is lifted up without praying for you. And I yearn for you in my bowels from the depths of my being. And I just want to point out tonight that Nehemiah was obviously thinking about important things if he's asking about it. It's on his mind. It's on his heart. I remember years ago, we were doing work. We had a bunch of work days going on. We were at, at, at our, our church in Stillwater, and we were doing work in the sanctuary and, and working to make it look better and, and kind of renovating it. And I remember one night, we were having a work night, and one of the men, there were probably 15 or 20 guys there that night. And one of the men from the church, he came driving up, and he pulled up, and he said, what are you guys doing? I said, well, you know, it's, we have another work night tonight. We've been working on this, you know, at this point for about a month. Just about every night. And he's like, 
I didn't even know you guys were working. You should have told me. You should have called me. I, I had no idea. And I was just sitting there thinking, you know, there's 15 or 20 guys here just about every night that knew that there were work nights going on. And the reason he didn't know about the work nights going on is because really he, at that point, didn't really care enough about it to even know what was going on. You see, when you care about something, nobody has to text you and say, hey, we're working at the church tomorrow. When you care about something, it's on your heart enough that you're the one asking for it. And man, if you found yourself being left out of the loop when stuff is happening at the church, it could be that it's not on your mind enough to be asking about it. And maybe we ought to ask God to help us care about the important things so that rather than wait for somebody else to prompt us to do something, we're just doing it because it's a, it's a reflection of what we love. If we love Eastside Baptist Church enough, nobody has to tell us when something needs to get done because we just notice and we know that things need to get done. You know, that's, that's, what ha- that's what happens when you love something. Nehemiah cared about the important things, which were at this point, what we're talking about when I say important things, he, Nehemiah cares about God's work and God's house. Because that's what's at risk in Jerusalem. The fact that the walls are broken down means that God's house is at risk. And Nehemiah is concerned about the state of God's people and God's temple. You know, we're so easily caught up in things that, frankly, just aren't that important. I mean, I know I can do it too. I get so caught up in all the things that don't really matter in life. And, and, I, and I forget that the most important things in life are the spiritual things. The most important things in life are the things that have to do with eternity. It's so hot in here, our fans are falling over, okay? I just want to point that out. You know, the most important things in life are spiritual. And most people, though, in this day and age are investing little to no time or effort or energy into the most important things. And I can say that with evidence because I just read this week, and you could look it up, I just read this week that uh, a story, a news article that's saying that U.S. church membership is plummeting. And right now, only about 50% of Americans actively practice any religion. Just 20 years ago, that, I mean, that's 70% lower than it was 20 years ago. I mean, we're dropping, people are dropping out of church like flies. They're, they're disconnecting from God's local New Testament churches all over the place. More and more people are dropping out of church. They're the, it's the highest number of atheists that our country has ever seen before. And right now, the the state of most, the average church is trending downward. These numbers are not going to get better, folks. There won't be more and more people walking to the church building. There'll be fewer and fewer and fewer as we go along. And I'm saying that because if that's true, then more and more people have nothing to do with the part of life that matters the most, which is the spiritual part of life. This church, our culture, parents, your family, it needs disciples. We don't need people that are just, that are kind of like, I don't know, dabbling in our church. We need people that say, I care about the important things. And I'm making a priority out of the things that don't just matter to me, but the things that matter to God himself. See, when I think about Nehemiah, I think about what he was most concerned about, and that he was concerned about God's work, 
God's people, and God's house. Those are the important things. So I'm asking you tonight, uh, if, if we were to take a, a look at your weekly calendar, how would we say you prioritize God's work, God's people, in God's house? How much effort are you putting into God's work, God's people, God's house? How much time of your week is given to God's work, God's people, God's house? You know, I think about the things that are most important, and I think about all the things that I end up spending my time on. And honestly, they don't sometimes, very often, the things that I'm spending most of my time on are not falling under any of those categories. Now, I'm not saying that, that you have to spend the majority of your time at church. Um, I'm not saying that you have to live here. But I am saying that it should be a reflection in your schedule weekly. That this is a priority for you. That God's work means something for you. And, and I don't mean that you just give you know, a few minutes to looking over your lesson before you teach on Sunday mornings. I mean, you're taking time. Because God's work is important, God's house is important, and God's people are important. And I'm not going to be able to apply all of those things tonight. And I think I'm going to make some adjustments here as well. But I want to talk about one that, is, that I, I find to be very important. And one that I miss the most. This is one that I was talking about in Sunday school this morning. Because I think it's probably the one that I need the most. And that is, very often I can get so busy that I lose sight about how important it is to love God's people. You know, our relationships with each other determine the strength, the unity of Eastside Baptist Church. And this morning, I, I talked about Lone Ranger Christians and how we have so many Lone Rangers out here who just kind of do their thing and they don't, they don't want to be met, they don't want to be bothered with what everybody else is doing. You know, they do their thing. They don't need help. They're not contributing. They're still doing fine. But did you realize that that's not how God intends for his people to be? If God wanted us to be Lone Rangers, he would have never given us the local New Testament church. But he has intentions for you to be part, and not just part, but a vital part of a New Testament assembly just like this one. That is part of God determining in your life that you will have the right kind of joy, the right kind of satisfaction, the right kind of fulfillment. I'm thankful that we're seeing some movement even uh, in our church right now, of people that want to be a part of Eastside Baptist Church. It's a blessing. You know, and I think there are probably more that need it. We went yesterday morning, we went and we were canvassing the neighborhood right here by the church with those Easter tracks. In just about every house I went to, there's a young family with, with, with children, you know, 10 or younger. They're out there enjoying the nice day. And I was asking, well, where do, you, where do you go to church? Or where do you go to church? And most of them, well, you know, we go here, but we haven't really been going. And I'm thinking, what that family is missing out on by not being part of a local church? It's God's intentions for those children to be a part of a local church. And yet on Sundays, you know, they're riding their bikes up and down the sidewalks. I mean, that sounds like a great life. I used to love to do that myself. But there's a lot that they're missing spiritually that they don't even know they're missing. You know, this is, we ought to be concerned about the people of God. Don't forget that in all that we find ourselves busy doing, 
Nothing matters more than people. And I don't just mean the people out there. I'm talking about the people in this room right here. How much of a priority do you place on the relationships you have in this room? See, remember, nothing matters more than people. And we're a family, and we are therefore responsible to look every man on the needs of others. That's what Philippians 2 says. So how are you doing with the care? Remember, we're talking about Nehemiah. Part of the reason that he was qualified to be the man for the job was because he cared about important things. And one of the people, one of the things that he cared about was God's people. Remember, when he asked, look again in verse 2. I just want to remind you what we're talking about. The, the second half of verse 2. And I asked them concerning what? Concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity. The first thing on Nehemiah's mind was his nation, his people. How are you doing with the care that you show for God's people? Do you take the time to meet the needs of the people of Eastside Baptist Church? Are you thinking about ways that you can be a blessing, that you can reach out and you can provide care? I'm thankful. I've already seen so many examples of this in the three weeks that I've been here. I mean, I think about how you dealt with the Johnson family. The love that you showed for that family in their darkest moments, it'll never escape me. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that when it came down to a time of crisis, that many of you were there to be a blessing however you could. Taking them food, sending them uh, notes, texting, calling, just being there for them. And then when it was time for the funeral, that we had so many step up and set up cha chairs and set up tables and get food ready. I mean, it's been amazing. But what, one thing I want to be careful of, church, is that we're not just good at the big things. See, a funeral's a big thing. But a discouraged look on somebody's face is a small thing. But honestly, it can be just as important for us to care in those moments too. And when there's a health need <clears throat> that arises and someone mentions it in Sunday school or on Wednesday night, it's on the prayer list, and there's something that's going on, it's a burden for somebody, it's just as important that we as a church family lift up the hurting member in a small moment than it is that we lift them up in the big moments. Because sometimes I think that we're much better at coming through when it's really needed and it's really big and it's really necessary. But I don't want you to forget that a church is made up of people that aren't just there in the big moments, but they're, they're weekly in the small moments too. That really is the backbone of a church. The ones who are maybe even behind the scenes, and, but faithfully, weekly, they're in their place teaching a young, a young child's uh, class or they're in their place uh, taking care of the facilities, or they're in their place just ministering in this way or that. And I think about little things like, you know, there's always a cup of water every time I'm up here speaking. Every time, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry about it. And listen, those are the trademarks of a strong church. More than just, well, how did we do when things were big and there was a disaster? I mean, it's important when there's a disaster. It's important when there's a crisis, but listen, I hope that you're not a crisis Christian where you show up only when it's a big thing. Because God will, you will prove your stewardship, your faithfulness to God in the small weekly details. 
That's where the strength and backbone of a church is built. And it's important that we are mindful of each other on a weekly basis. Not just in how we care, but also how we treat each other. Do we reflect the care, Christ's love, when we deal with each other? When we speak with each other? Are we mindful of how we treat each other? Some of the worst relationships, you've probably seen this too, some of the worst relationships I've ever witnessed were family members with each other. Some of the most hateful, spiteful things, the most hateful, spiteful moments I've ever seen between two people were people that were related. Blood family. You know, the more together we're together, the more we can take each other for granted. Isn't that true? I mean, the longer I'm married, the easier it is for me to take my wife for granted sometimes. More than I should. And the more that we're here as a family, the more I think we start to take each other for granted. The truth is, God placed every member in the body as it hath pleased him. And whether or not you have the same kind of personality or you're compatible with them, that doesn't mean or exempt you from having the responsibility to care for God's people. The Bible very clearly speaks about having one mind, striving together, being like-minded, having the same love, doing nothing through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each other esteem other better than themselves. That's what Philippians says. So be careful about how we deal with each other, because in a family, we won't always see eye to eye. But unless it's a clear violation of God's law, or there's really a serious offense. Here's what mature Christians do when they deal and care with each other in the right way. Here's what mature Christians do. They take the high road. See, unless somebody has very clearly violated God's law or they have very clearly committed an offense that is a serious offense, mature Christians don't dwell on it. Mature Christians take the high road because what a mature Christian is doing is saying, no, I have a responsibility as a member of this church to care for the other members of this church. And honestly, it is very often, if you would run your offenses through this filter, is this, is this going to help or hurt the unity of Eastside Baptist Church? And if it's not going to, uh, to help the unity of Eastside Baptist Church, you know what, I think, I, I don't want to sing this song, but maybe it's time to let it go. Or I could sing this song, but you don't want me to. It's time to let some of this stuff go because we are called to care for people. And people that God can use to further his big kingdom purposes like Nehemiah, they're not just concerned about themselves. Here's Nehemiah in a palace making a really good salary. He has everything he could ever need. And there's a group of his people in Jerusalem thousands of miles away. But he's not like, well, but I don't want to give up my job because, you know, I'm living pretty comfortably. No, he cares enough about God's people that he'll place aside his own desires and his own, and his own preferences. And, and he stops being self-centered and thinking about all the things that he wants. And he says, no, I'm concerned about God's people because that's the kind of man or woman God can use to make a big difference. In the jet house, we have, a, we have a very important question we like to ask. When our kids are bickering or fighting, and you know, they're pastor kids, so they don't really fight, they quote scriptures at each other. <laughs> and if you believe that, it was, that was sarcasm, by the way. Okay. When they're hurling Bible verses and fists, no, when they're, when they're not getting along, you know what we say? When, if one does something maybe hateful to the other, it happens in a pastor's home too. 
You know what we always ask? I'll say something like this. Lacey, I'm, not, I'm just using her as an example, not because it happens with her a lot, although it may. I'll say something like, Lacey, and you tell me, what's more imp- important? Okay? If they're fighting over, let's say they're fighting over a toy. And her and her brother start really quoting scriptures. Okay? <laughs> and I'll say, Lacey, what's more important, your brother or that toy? What would you say? My brother. We ask that question all the time. Because we're trying to send the signal to our kids that caring for people is the way that God is. And when it comes down to fighting over something, we'll say it all the time. I'll say, kids, what's more important, TV or your mom? Well, our mom. What's more important, um, that toy or your brother? Well, my brother. What's more important, this or a person? And I can tell you this in just about every case. I can't really think of one. If you insert that question, you can always come to the conclusion that the person is the most important part of the equation. So when it comes to an offense at Eastside Baptist Church, and maybe somebody did something you just don't like, so then ask yourself the question, what's more important, my pride or that person? You know what you'd have to say? That person. What's more important, the way that I would do it, or the way they do it, the way that I would do it, or that person? For the sake of unity, that person. What's more important, uh, my opinions, or the person? The person. It's a pretty easy equation. I wish math was this way. The answer is always the same. It's always about people. But sometimes we get into this mode where it's about, no, we're going to get things done and I'm doing my way and, and be, be careful because don't get in my way because I've got things to do and this makes sense to me and this is my plan. Listen, it's about people. Nehemiah was more concerned about the people of God than ultimately, listen, than ultimately his own livelihood. He gave up a job in the palace with the king because, partly because he loved people. He was concerned about the important things God's people, and it qualified him to be the man for God's plan. So you're here right now for a reason, and God's sovereignty placed you in this body to fulfill an important function. So now that you're here, have you taken the steps necessary to be qualified to be used? I mean, now that you're here, that's God's part. Your part is to make sure you're the right kind of Christian to be useful in this setting. In other words, are the things that are important to God important to you? Namely, tonight, his people. Because if it doesn't fit into the category of, well, people, there's a strong chance that God put you in here on purpose, but you won't be qualified to make the difference he wants you to make. If you're spending your time on things that aren't for God's people or go against God's people, or you're at odds with God's people, there's a chance, probably, that God put you here right now, at this time, for a reason, but you're going to miss out on it. It's not just about being in the right place. It's about being the right person. Nehemiah was the right person. He obviously was concerned about God's people. Next time we, we meet, we'll talk about how he was also concerned about God's house. And that's an important one, too. But I hope tonight... That maybe God has spoken to you about, maybe you've grown cold toward God's people. Maybe you haven't made it a priority in your, in your daily life. 
You know, we ought to be about each other. I mean, we're about God, I know. He's the focus, it's about his glory. But very often God's glorified in us when we have the right kind of relationship with each other. Let's stand. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.